Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. Oftentimes in my dark periods, I just felt like I was like I was a failure, that I was unacceptable, that I just was not okay, that I was there was something inherently wrong. After coming back, I find much, much more joy being alive and just feeling more that things happen. And, 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 you know, you don't always get what you want. Things don't always go your way. And that's fine. It's not supposed to be that way. That voice you just heard is Dave Newland. And you're going to love this interview. It's so great. But I want to begin by thanking you all for your messages and emails, your suggestions and your contributions. I love hearing from my listeners. It means the world to me. We're at more than 250 episodes and we have plenty more to come. I think one of the great appeals of pilgrimage is it symbolizes movement moving forward, progress and progressing forward. When you walk out of the albergue, casting glances at other pilgrims, wondering if they had been part of the confederacy of snorers that was shaking the rafters of the accommodation the night before, you're heading off on a day of discovery, discovering the joy of slow tourism, the crunching of the road beneath your feet, the very same road that millions of pilgrims have traversed before you. You might be one of those pilgrims who must get at least two hours of walking in before they have their first café con leche. Or you might be a pilgrim who stops at the first café they see. The café, right across the road from the Maria and Jesus albergue in Pamplona, was packed the morning I walked out of the albergue. But a café a hundred yards up the street was empty. I think back to the places I slept. The municipal albergue in Burgos, a magic place tucked in behind the cathedral. The albergue in Nevada, down by the river, 90 souls beating in time, cheek to jowl in bunks on a night, pushing 100 degrees. Swimming in the pool and relaxing in a hammock in the garden of Albergue Vieira in San Martin del Camino. Blessings from the nuns in Sahun. Pulpo in Malide. Cold beers in the Plaza Mayor in Madrid. The memories are so sharp and clear in my mind. Perhaps it's because my mind was so clear. As I travelled step by step, on my journey of discovery. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James. Pilgrims walk with the blessing of Christ's apostle James the Stronger, to become stronger, to be better selves, to share love and light. Plato said, We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. I'm going to tell you a Camino story to begin this week's podcast. My guest this week is Dave Newland. Dave listens to the podcast and drops me a line from time to time. He works rotating shifts at a nuclear plant as a chemical technician. He's been there more than 30 years. He works night shifts and generally keeps to himself. Well, when Dave was preparing to set off on the Camino, he didn't really make a big song and dance about it. He wanted it to be his story, his journey. There were mumblings at the plant because no one had ever asked for that much time off before. One of Dave's colleagues was really interested in his journey and asked to stay in touch, so Dave emailed him every day. When Dave returned from his Camino, he walked past the main bulletin board for the entire plant, and there, pinned to the board, was a map of Spain. Dave's colleague had plotted his entire Camino across the map and pinned a marker at each town Dave had stayed at. I think his colleague appreciated this was someone doing something special. Dave Newland is on the line from the United States. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hi, Dan. It's a great story, right? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, uh, no one I've, no one's ever done this. Like in my neck of the woods, or people I've associated with, it was uh, quite different. And I, uh, I think that the people I work with, there's a couple people that asked me about it, but I think most people are just puzzled. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. you know what I did. Because it was a great journey before you even stepped onto the Camino. In fact, perhaps even a better journey, a a more significant journey. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But in one of your emails telling me your stories, you said in the lead up to the Camino, you were, quote unquote, driven, truly drawn. What did you mean by that? Um, I had, when I discovered the Camino, when I come across it, uh, the story of um, my wife said, said we we saw a preview at a movie, then saw the movie. But my memory is I come across it in Parade magazine. She pointing it out, the movie The Way. And I had never heard of such a thing. And then I started researching it. And I went to my library and got the whatever books I had available. And the first one 
they talked about or they had that I read was Shirley MacLaine's book. And when she talked about that it was an ancient pilgrimage or path that was even before Christianity that, that led among under the stars, uh, the Milky Way and under the magnetic earth leading them to the ocean, to the end of the world. I thought in, in reading about the people that did it later, you know, for the pilgrimage for the church, I thought about people that were in pain or, or in sorrow or um, they've been sentenced to do it or for some reason. And I thought about these people in the cold, not knowing what's going to happen and how they were, they were driven. And I, and I thought about Shirley MacLaine's line was she would take off her shoes and walk barefoot because she wanted to feel the energy of those that came before her. And when I read that line, it was like, just like something exploded. I just feel these people, the ache that these people had. I mean, just walking this, not knowing where you're going to sleep, where you're going to eat, where you're going to get water, but they were driven to walk this path because they were searching for something. And I think that's where I was in my life. I was searching for something. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was searching for something. And just the idea of these people before me, it just really, just really resonated with me. And I just felt such a kinship of like humanity through the ages of people that did this. Um, so that's, I think, what I meant. I was driven. I, I wanted, I didn't know what an answer would be uh, by walking it. But I felt all these people before me that had done it, they also were like me, a seeker trying to find something. And, and I was hoping to find what maybe they had found. That's, I think, what I was driven for. Yeah, wow. Great answer. Okay, Dave, tell us about your knees. Oh, my knees. Yeah. Uh, the journey about my knees. Uh, um, long before I walked the Camino, I was I was – uh, well overweight. I was, I, when I started this journey of, of my physical portion, I was 330 pounds. Ooh. And, and I remember going with my son to Boy Scout camp and I couldn't even walk up a hill and going shopping with my wife. I might go in the store and I'd say, I, I can't do this. And I would either sit or go back out to the car. So it led to knee replacement. And my doctor said, well, you're going to have to lose about 40 or 50 pounds before I even consider it. So I did. And I had both my knees replaced in 2011, one in July, one in December. And so after that, um, I just started walking and, uh, and, and I just fell, fell into this path where I found it really relaxing and meditative to go walking. And so I just started walking more and more and more, um, which led to the, the, the eventually walking the Camino. Yeah. And you lost, like you said, an incredible amount of weight. Was it simply walking or did you cut out some sort of foods or was there some sort of strict regime? That's an incredible amount of weight to lose. Um, well, I mean, I followed a diet, um, um, but um, I walked, I lost over, a total said when I was, when I was walking the Camino, I probably had wa- lost about 140 pounds. Wow. When I, when I first started walking the Camino. And yeah, physically I did the walking and I kept increasing the walking. I got like a pedometer first in the, in the first editions of the Fitbits. But far as eating, one of the things I was going to therapy for several years and one of the paradigms that really switched for me was, uh, I mean, I come from a family that struggles with their weight and I've had weight issues my whole life. And the paradigm that switched with me was um, I had an uncle and he had said one time he had diabetes and we were talking, we were walking down a road and he was talking about visiting my, my, my parents' house and my grandmother was there and they loved to cook, loved to eat. And he, he said to me, he said, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I know they make this food and they want me to eat it, but I got to take care of myself. And he said, and I, I'm sorry if it hurts their feelings, but I, I have to care of myself and so somewhere along the line between all this, the paradigm shifted. When I was younger, when I tried to lose weight, it was because I hated myself. Mm. Oh my gosh, you're, you know, you're, you're disgusting, you're overweight, these pants won't fit, you know, mm. you just kind of scold yourself, mm. you know, do this, do that. And the whole paradigm switched to the fact that I that I cared about myself. Yeah. And so and so decisions came down like where people would have things that 
I didn't fit under my eating plan. And I would say, I, I, I thank you, but I, I can't have that. And I always tucked in the back of my mind, my uncle's words, I got to take care of myself. Yeah. And so the whole the whole paradigm changed rather than I'm losing weight because I hate myself or I want to be thin because some odd reason it was, I was doing this because I care about myself and I'm making tough decisions because I care. You know, yeah, you mentioned Dave, your Fitbit. Tell us about the Fitbit pole to pole award. Oh, I got that. I, um, the the Fitbit, uh, when I first got the Fitbit was in, uh, 20, um, 16. And, um, it keeps track of how many steps obviously per day. And, um, you know, and I wore it on the Camino and, um, and it keeps track of distances that you, um, total distances you've walked since you've had it. And this last spring of 2020, um, from my absolutely getting from my birthday, November, 2016, I passed the, the highest one they have. I've walked from pole to pole of the earth, uh, wearing my Fitbit since I own it. That's fantastic. And I told my doctor, yeah, it was, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, and I showed it to my, when I went to my 10th year, 10th anniversary checkup, my doctor last spring, I was thanking him for help having a piece of changing my life. And I showed him the banner that I had passed the, you know, pole to pole. And he, he, he took it down to their doctor and they both came down and they was, this is amazing, you know? And, um, uh, so yeah, I was pretty pleased that, uh, and um, and I still walk like five to seven miles a day every day. Yeah, me and my. <laughs> it's as good. It's as good for the body as it is for the mind. I'm sure, Dave. And oh, you, sure. Your doctor examined your knees after you returned home from the Camino and said they were just like they were the day he'd put them in. So you can. This is the question. And there'll be people wondering. You can walk the Camino on new knees. Yes. Yes. I. I, I tried to take some precautions because I'm awfully paranoid of hurting them and whether it worked or not, I, I wore, I decided to wear like ankle boots thinking to myself that you know, I ankle size hiking boots, because I thought to myself, it might prevent me from like springing my ankle then falling. So I thought this little extra edge beyond that, you know, I, there was some slope, you know, spots like we're coming down from Alto de Podon mm. where it's rocky and, you know, yeah. you know, like jagged rocks. I was going very, very slow, sideways, sideways, you know, just kind of paranoia to protect them. But absolutely the, my knees held up. And since that walk, my doctor said, your knees look just like I put them in 10 years ago. <laughs> so. so being overweight with sore knees, wasn't your only issue, Dave. In one of your emails, you said, my wife pushed cajoled me, talked and loved me so much, and finally convinced me to see a therapist for my depression. What does that life look like when your wife is is desperate to get you to see someone about what she thinks is depression? Well, that was a dark time. I mean, that was really a dark period for me. And I, um, <clears throat> she, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I really just, everything was dark and and even the eating I did do was like self-harm eating. I just, I hated myself. I'd got to the point I was, um, with depression and it was so dark that I really just didn't want to live anymore. I didn't, I didn't want to hurt anyone. I didn't want to hurt my family. I didn't want, I would go to sleep at night begging, you know, could I just have a heart attack? I just don't want to be alive anymore. Oh. And, and, and I just, I, you know, and my wife, um, my wife's one tough woman and, and I, she, and, and she is one of the biggest and best things in my life. And, and she talked me into it and it took me a long time. I didn't really want it. I mean, I wanted to go, obviously, cause she talked me into going, I didn't, you know, wasn't dragging fingernails on the sidewalk, but it took a long time for the therapist to really kind of start, you know, unbending or straightening the wires of my head that took me there and put me in a different place. But it certainly was a very dark time and, and uh, I saw no more life I wanted really of this. And mm. that was me back then, yeah. Yeah. And I asked that question, Dave, because you're speaking to me today in the hope someone listening might identify with you and your old life and perhaps your change might prompt change in someone else's life. And in an article you wrote that you sent to me, and and I'm going to share it as much as I I can because it's wonderful, it said, and you mentioned there, it took many years working through the issue, straightening out the bends and the wires that distorted my view on life. Did your, your 
Did your therapist manage to find out why those bends and wires emerged? What prompted the depression? Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I grew up in an alcoholic home and my father was, was a very angry man was a child. He quit drinking when I was about 13 and I was the youngest of four kids. And so when all the, the, the violence was happening in the home, I think that, and I'm not judging my siblings, my siblings have their own view and, and I'm not saying my view is any worse than theirs. Certainly my, you know, physically my older brother got the worst of it but from my view being the youngest <clears throat> I saw everything and, it, and all I had in my life was about growing up was the fact I, I was trapped in this mold between I could not be good at anything because you got noticed but you could not be bad at anything because also you got noticed so I had this thin bandwidth of life I could live not being noticed for good not being noticed for bad and you know, just making choices constantly to, to always be safe. And by the time I got, I guess, starting in middle age and my father had passed, um, I had cut to the point where um, I was just tired. I was mm. just tired trying to maintain this. And I didn't even know who I was because I had lived this life of constantly being um, trapped in this role of not being noticed good or bad and not being able to even being not being able to be okay being different and being noticed for being different you just have to blend in and be safe and that that was the roots of of um we we worked out uh, basically you know she said that there was a lot of PSD, ptsd from that that period in my life and and i grew up into being a young adult and joined the navy left home and i think as long as i was moving as long as i was changing jobs or as long as I had something to move and do something different about, then it was okay. But when I got to be older where this is my life, this is my home, this is all there is. I mean, it, you know, not that there's nothing wrong what I have, yeah. but there's nothing I could change. Then all of a sudden it came home to roost that how trapped I was in that role and how unhappy I was. Mm. So you wrote, yeah, that's, yeah you wrote in one of the, you wrote in that article, time went on. Slowly the darkness was lifting. I started searching for a faith, for a God that accepted me, all of me, real me, the pains, the joys, the happiness, the doubting, the one who had failed at times, hurt people or hurt myself, the one inside that just wanted to feel alive and okay. Did you find that God? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I felt it so strongly on the Camino. I had moments where I sat in the back of the, um, the, the, the Catholic churches alone, just in the, in, in the views, just looking around. I felt it there. I felt it, I felt it amazingly. I, I, uh, I walked under the stars a lot. Mm. And I had that alone time. And one morning in particular, I remember I was uh, between Saria, after, after Saria, and I remember it was like the sky was exploded with stars and it was like the moon was up there and it was like shining right on me. And it was like, just like a chill went through me that everything is okay. I'm okay. That, uh, I'm, I'm not like everyone else and no one else is like me and, and, and no one ever is ever supposed to be like anyone else. We're all different and I'm okay. And it, I had just a lot of wonderful experiences in that alone time on the Camino. Was it a God, so, this, this God you found, was it a God you'd known before and perhaps turned away from? I think so. I mean, um, in the darker periods of when I was, I was searching, you know, I had tried to find face that fit for me. And a lot of the face that I tried fitting for me, it, uh, um, like my, my, my therapist would say that really that sometimes you were, you were, the voice of what you felt was God was the judgmental voice of your father. And, and through um, that period, and I was able to kind of come back and recognize that the meanness, the, the mean voice of God, that, that really wasn't the voice of God. That was, 
a shadow or something. It was something controlling, but it was not the voice of God. Uh, I, I believe that God wants us all to be happy and we're all meant to be like a cornucopia of people with different ideas and face and skin color and, and how we live our life. And I, and I really felt that in, you know, sort of the Camino, just meeting the different people from different countries and realizing they're like me, they have concerns, they have families, they have loves, they have uh, joys, you know, it, it really resonated that we are all, all different and we're all seeking and, and God loves us all. And we're all meant to be different and I'm different. And I, and I found that, I found that voice and it was uh, tremendously affirming. You wrote to me to say that you fell in love with walking, you said, I found it meditative, peaceful, a time to shuffle the cards in my mind, trying to make sense of thoughts. I absolutely love that line, time to shuffle the cards in my mind, trying to make sense of my thoughts. What game were you, what game were you playing? <laughs> I guess if I could try to imagine any game, it would probably be in solitaire or something like that, <laughs> shuffling the cards, trying to make them make sense and trying to, trying to organize them into thoughts, yeah, the usable yeah. thoughts. What's your wife's name, Dave? Holly. Holly. We've been married 30 We've been married 39 years. Wow. Holly, yeah, as, you I, said, as you said earlier, Holly showed you an article about the way in a doctor's waiting room and the way you went. And then this Camino calling was very powerful. You, as you mentioned, you read Shirley MacLaine's book and Paolo Coelho's The Pilgrimage. And you wrote that you imagined these people, humans like me, living a life quietly, prayerfully, walking the ground under the stars, walking in hope hope of pain and worries being lifted. And you said, my heart ached for them. My whole soul, spirit just ached to do this, to feel what they felt, to heal. So tell us about the day when you said, I'm going to do it. Well, it was, it was a process um, of the different steps of the doctor saying, okay, uh, work saying, okay, um, you know, then, then prepping for it. But when I decided to do it, I, I was, um, very, very, um, uh, nervous about it. I was, yeah. I, I mean, it was important to me. It was, it felt so deeply important to me that, that I had to do this. And so I, um, I just really prepped constantly with the idea that I, I to try my best to be ready. And, um, and so there was a lot of like determination or um, stubbornness that I can do this. And, and, and even like I, the first day, I remember walking up the Pyrenees and, you know, stopping and catch my breath and, and thinking to myself, you know, at the time I was 56 thinking, you know, that men just like me, women just like me, people like me, you know, have done this, you know, thousands, millions have done this. I too can do this. Uh, but it was um, it was a, it was a, a moment of like a stubbornness to decide I'm going to do it. Or you know, there was a, a sense of I, I I need to do this, and then I need to be as prepped as I can to do this because I I I really want this. Yeah, and yet you were quite cautious and and indeed a little frightened because everything was going great. You were getting fitter physically and and mentally, and and developing the courage and the understanding of what you were about to undertake would, would not only benefit your health, but your mind until you read about Camino families and albergues and it frightened you. You didn't want to be in crowded places. And I guess the question I would sort of like to ask you is how you overcame that fear or did you? I, I struggled. I have moments. I, uh, um, I, I developed some, uh, my therapist gave me some tips on how to handle situations. And uh, my wife was certainly very, very encouraging of it. Yeah. Um, and there were certainly times that I had, I, I have, um, I was sitting rereading my diary from last night of, of the, the Camino. And there's some entries in there that I write about just tremendous days, how, how happy I was. And I have the other days where, um, I was kind of overloaded by what I did, and, but I but I wanted to do this. And I remember telling myself, if I'm at any albergue I'm at, if any place I'm at, they say, "Do you want Camino dinner?" I'll say yes. Yeah. 
because I wanted to meet people and I wanted to see people. Uh, but it was a challenge. And I had times where, I mean, like I was in Grenon and, and I stayed at the, the old uh, church there sleeping on the mats. Yeah. And, I, and one, one of the things with the tips I had, my therapist has I always arrived uh, as, as early as you can. And uh, so you're there as things kind of get loud around you, not walk into the loudness. And so I was the first one there and I, and I did want to spend for dinner. And I met a, a really wonderful fellow from Canada that I uh, come across several times walking and we'd had a beer across the street and we did our clothes together and we had a lot of talking. He was just a great guy. And then we come down to the, to the dinner and in, in my choice by the techniques I'd use to try to handle the crowd was sit on the outside edge, you know, get there early. Mm. And I come down, his name was Herbie. And he goes, I got a seat for you. And it was right in the center. And so I was like, oh, you know, I was kind of dreading it. And it went well at first, but towards the end, I, I was feeling pretty tense. Um, but I got through it. And, uh, you know, um, but that's just me. I, I can have, I truly, have, if my wife was here to talk for me, I truly have, <laughs> can have panic attacks in certain situations. And sometimes I called my wife afterwards and she would talk me down or talk me through it. And, and I think that the, the whole thing was, and even looking back on it, even the Camino itself, that the, it was a lesson at the fact that not every day is going to be rosy in your life or not every day it was going to be rosy on the Camino. And, but overall, um, it's a journey. It's like setting your sails to the wind and tacking with whatever winds to try to get the journey you're trying to go to. And, and I got through those tough times and I was proud that I did. And I met some wonderful people that I really enjoyed talking to. So. You started each day under the stars, as you said, walked until midday when it was getting hot and it meant you had no problem finding a bunk at the albergues. How long did it take, do you think, Dave, for you to feel the magic of the Camino and to discover what it was you perhaps had hoped to find oh day one. Oh, i i um i flew into um into Baritz, france and i was i was going to take um i had read there was kind of a um kind of a uh, a van or something you could get a ride to um saint jean and it said it's very rarely filled up uh, but um you know, it could be obviously. So I got there and it was filled up. And so I don't know any French. And so I'm debating how to get to Bayonne to get the train to St. Jean. And then I was out by the, the looking at the bus signs, trying to make, you know, the maps, trying to make sense of what bus to get on. And a lady appeared and she was a retired teacher from Brazil. And she didn't know French very well. She knew, she taught, you know, Spanish in in Portuguese because her first language is Portuguese, and so she she stayed with me. She rode the bus with me to Bayonne. She was with me in Bayonne, and she was trying. We were, she was trying to show me how to get the tickets to the train to go to Saint Jean, and because she was helping me, she missed the train, and so we both missed the trains. So we had three hours together just to hang out together, and we had lunch together and. Uh, we went, you know, rode the train to St. John. I never saw her again for the day because I, I was at a different albergue, but she was there. And it was like the, the magic of that woman out of the blue helping me was just immediate that, that, that this is really neat. This is special. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let me read you a passage from the article you sent me. And you might tell me how this makes you feel. Walking under the stars, under the shining moon, watching the sun come up, First, the sky lightening, then the beginning of the orange sun, then the sun peeking up, then finally, there it was, a new day. That's where I found the voice of God. I was on the curious, ancient trail, as millions before me, seeking. I sat in the back of quiet Catholic churches, and in the quiet I would be overwhelmed with the sense and the feeling of those who had been in those seats, feeling their pains, sorrows, joys, and God's love. My religious faith is that I am a Quaker. In the silence, I find God. Those beautiful Catholic churches during Mass, I felt nothing as not being Catholic and not knowing Spanish. The ritual meant nothing. But, oh, my God, in the silence, sitting in those magnificent cathedrals, I felt the presence of God. What do you feel when you hear that passage? It makes me a chill down my spine because I remember sitting there. I remember sitting there and just looking around 
and and just being overwhelmed with the beauty and and just being I I felt I could feel these people from you know years people that were there for weddings because it was joyful people there for baptisms because it was joyful people there there were they were they were crying in sorrow because someone had passed away and it just seemed like a, a, such a, a spirit of energy of of life there of of, of being alive and living a life and, and the sense that everyone had you know these people that had been there before me it just sometimes it felt like it was overwhelming me that it just you know, brought me to tears at times sitting in the back of those places. It was it's an amazing feeling. Tell us about walking into Santiago de Compostela. Uh, I um, I'd met a, a girl that morning that I'd actually come come across a No Sobrero, and we walked in together. It was kind of a misty morning because it, it was a little bit foggy, a little bit misty, and she was really hustling because she wanted to get to the noon mass, and so I was tagging along with her. And then weaving through the streets and, uh, you know, following into in the sounds of the bagpiper playing as we crossed down the stairs and, and entering, the, entering the square and looking up at the cathedral um, and just seeing all the happiness of the people that were there. It was it's a feeling that, you know, I, I, I hope to walk it again for my retirement gift myself, but it was the being there the first time, it was just such an astounding feel looking up there and just mm-hmm. thinking about all the people that had been there and the people that were there to that day running around the joys in her face. It was, it was incredible. Just very incredible. And you decided to walk on to Mushia. Why? Well, I wanted to walk to Messiah. Um, I, I always want, I'd always, I wanted to walk to the ocean period. I just felt like if I didn't walk to the ocean, um, it would just be sort of incomplete. Um, and um, I'd always had in my mind Messiah first. And when I went to the go to the cathedral, I had to store my backpack. So I went to a, a place where each, I think it was five euros, they held your backpack. And I was talking to the fellow there about doing that. And he goes, oh, go to Messiah first, then Finisterra. And because I don't, I don't, I avoid crowds, uh, you know, in the ending of the way, it really appealed to me. Yes, that's that's where I want to go. So so I walked to Messiah, and um, that was amazing too. I mean, I I had this big goofy dog following a lot of uh, that last day quite a distance. I felt was feeling awful. He's a big friendly fella, following me. I you know I he made me happy, but I was worried about you know this isn't your home. And finally, he 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 went let went the opposite direction back towards where he came from. And eventually, like weaved around, and like the first glimpse of the ocean. And the day I got there, it was beautiful, beautiful sun, sunny day. You could see the ocean, and um, what a feeling! I mean, I had seen the ocean from the other side. I've seen the ocean from Scotland when I was in the Navy, but uh, to be this dream trek, looking at what I had aspired for probably three years earlier, um, it was. Uh, it was like a, a dream come true, really. Can you remember what went through your head when you went to the point, that rocky area where Martin Sheen's character, the father, placed his son's ashes in the movie The Way? Can you remember what went through your mind when you stood there? Oh, yeah. It was it was just, uh, it was astonishment because it was astonishment, beautiful, watching the waves crack up and those crash up and those big stones in the church there. And um, I sat there that night, uh, watching the whole, you know, for hours, just watching the sunset, uh, just watching the, you know, where you described earlier about the sunrise. Now I watch the sun go through the motions of, of dropping below the sky. And it was, it was like, I felt like my soul had had become complete that, uh, that this is, this is, this so um, fulfilling that it, just like I said at times under the stars, like like God was wanted me here and I am here and I feel this. I feel his presence. I feel that that the, that I'm all right. The world is all right. That this this is meant to be. And, and I was so blessed to have made it. If the old Dave, the 330-pound Dave and the depressed Dave were to walk up to you standing at the beachside there at Mushir on the rocks, what would you have said to him? 
if if he was in a place where he was seeking and he was a place where I could talk to him, I would tell him that that you can change your life, that wherever you're heading, um, you can you can you can find it. You can find deep down what you're looking for. Um, Quakers believe a little bit different, maybe a little bit different. I'm not sure, but Quakers believe that there's a God. There's the God is within all of us, and and that you can find that you can find that spark. You can find that light. Um, you know that you can find. You can dig deep, and you can find yourself to do this. And not necessarily be easy, but it could be done. Your life could be totally different. It could, it could be a total different outlook outlook on life. It could just. It is possible. Not easy, but possible. You wrote, I sat there for hours watching the sunset, the waves crashing on the rocks. Everything is as it should be. This is my life. I am who I am. Chills ran down my spine as the sun left the day. I got up in the dark and walked back to my bed in the Albergue. Do you remember what you felt when you got back and lay down that night? Total contentment. I remember walking back and you know the sun had, you know sun had gone down now it's dark and walking back it was almost like i was i wasn't even walking on the earth anymore i was walking on air that i was just this presence of um of, of grace this presence of uh of of just being alive just uh that that uh that you know that I know just a sense of grace. Like I was almost floating. I, I just yeah. couldn't believe that I had just witnessed and saw what I saw that, that I am where I am right now today. <laughs> you finished the article. Oh, you, you had your picture taken at the zero marker in Finisterre and you wrote and finished your article by saying, my life had changed from that man that didn't want any more of life. I was now alive, whole, so, so happy. I had found myself and God on the Camino, the way of St. James, to the end of the earth. Congratulations, because it's an amazing story. It's an amazing achievement. But I think I am asking on behalf of everybody listening, what's life like now, Dave? Well, I had to come home and go back to work. So so I go to work and and um I still walk every day and I have uh and I still put myself and my health uh, first, I, you know, I, uh, I try to take care of myself because I care about myself and I care about, you know, the, my life I have with my wife. And, and I hope uh, in a few years when I retire, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that uh, my body will be up to it and I'd like to do this again. And, uh, and so I've returned to that and, um, and I've, you know, have a closer relationship to the spirit or God, where before I, I oftentimes in my dark periods, my very darkest periods, I just felt like I was, like I was a failure that was unacceptable that, that, that I, I, I just was not okay. That I was, there was something inherently wrong that there was. And, um, after coming back, um, I find much, much more joy. I find much more in that, uh, um, the, being alive and just feeling more that uh, that things happen and, and and you know you don't always get what you want things don't always go your way and that's fine it's not supposed to be that way but I find more appreciative when things do go my way that um, or what I think that I need they go my way anyway and it's just more of a uh, of a th- this life is just like the Camino it truly is a journey. And uh, like on the, like on the Camino in the days when I felt overwhelmed by the crowd or, you know, or even the pain sometimes like walking, you know, um, that it, it may hurt at times and, and that's fine. Cause it, it's, that's the way life is. And, but there's sometimes the, 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 the low times don't take me as deep and the, in the joy times, it doesn't take as much to make me joyful. It just feels like that, that life is, um, better that it's lighter that it's that life is good it, that I'm on my journey and sometimes I'll be in traffic and you know and we all probably been this way and you'll ride in traffic and some people are going faster than you are some people are going slower than you are and you know but we're all in our own bubble and and I I've you know I, I'm at the point now in my life that well they're on their own journey I'm on my own journey I don't may not understand what they're doing or why they're doing what they're doing or how fast they're driving or whatever 
but that's fine. And, and I'm doing my, my thing and I, I give people more grace in my life that, um, that their life is they're doing their best they can. And, um, it's just made life more livable. It really truly did change my life from the, the very dark days, you know, years ago. So, so Dave, you're a guy who doesn't seek attention. You, you're somebody who has, you're a private man. You, you, you didn't want to be a big song and dance. Why did you reach out to me? Why did you feel so, so driven to tell this story? Well, just like I was driven to walk the Camino, I I just had this urge, and and some people tell me I write very well, and so I I've attempted a few times to try to write this down, but then I I wrote the thousand word one to you, I forwarded it to you, and my thoughts were I I don't like being the center of attention. I absolutely do not like being the center of attention. I I come into places. I like to sit in the back. I like to just to be kind of just in the quiet, slide out the back door, and I just don't crave the center of it. I just don't like the feeling. Yeah. But having said that, I I had this, just like urging to walk the Camino, I had this burning thing inside of me that there's probably someone out there like me. There's someone out there. I mean, when I read that, I read, I, I was so drawn by all those books on the Camino. I, you know, more and more each book, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And then when I read that book, uh, it was a German comedian. I think it's, I'm off then. Mm-hmm. And he went about, went about the families and like the big families, like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that. I, I can't be closed in on. And, and I threw the book down and my hot Holly, my wife talked me through it, you know, and we, we, I moved back to getting on the Camino again. I'm grateful I did. But having said that, I thought to myself, as I've been leading to walk the Camino, just like that leading, my leading to tell my story was not so much about like the fact I don't need anybody to write me a letter and say, Dave, fantastic job. I mean, although it does feel good. My desire is that maybe someone out there is listening to this. You know, maybe someone's listening to this and they know somebody like me and say, hey, you got to listen to this. It doesn't matter. But if someone hears me tell this story and says, you know, if he can do it, I, I think I can do it. I think I can. That is so gratifying. That is so, if they could change their life, that would just, it's so touching. I don't even need to know that to change your life, but just the thought it changed my life is so touching. Wow. What a wonderful gift you have given to yourself, Dave, and your family. Yeah, yeah, truly, truly wonderful. Hey, tell us a Camino story, Dave. Well, I was talking to my wife about this, trying to figure out what story to tell, and, and I guess this is probably a funny story. I did get up. I did. Um, I didn't originally. I work. I work rotating shifts. My job, and, I, and for whatever reason, in my life, I very rarely sleep much more than six hours. And so I found like in. Bancas Velas, the lights went off at 10. And the first day I, I woke up, it was like 4, 4.30 in the morning, staring off in the dark. Okay, now what am I going to do? And that started my pattern of getting up that early. And so I, I fell in love with getting up that early because I liked that alone time, my alone time on the on the Camino. Like I said, I like the stars and the sun coming up. And so I, I checked and I tried very, very hard to try to be very careful not to wake people. And so I'd choose a bunk by the door so that it didn't, you know, I try not to make as much noise. I had a strategy of trying to get my things out without making noise. Um, even one night, like in Nahara, I left my my backpack like outside the door, so it wasn't even in the room, keeping my valuables with me. So, and, and usually when I checked in, when people come in after me, I tell them I I'm going to get up very early. Um, I'm going to try very very hard not to disturb you. And so I was in an albergue, a little outside of Sario. And this uh, guy, young guy from France says, oh, he goes, I'd love to get up that early. And I said, and he goes, but geez, aren't you scared of the dogs? I said, well, I've never had any problem with dogs. And he goes, well, I'd like to get up with you. Is that okay? I said, I said, absolutely. I said, I'd love to have the company. I said, but I'm, I'm not going to wake you. But if you wake up, you can, certainly can come along with me. Well, he didn't wake up. <laughs> but anyway, so I was walking along about, you know, maybe a half an hour into the walk. And I'm walking, just my own thoughts here in the gravel crunch under the stars. And all of a sudden, I hear this noise to my right. And, and in the darkness, I hear something big coming towards me. And, and it sounds like something, you know, like, a, and I realize it's like nails coming in the dirt. And so I dead stop. And I, and I had like the headlamp on. I turned to the right. 
and I see these eyes in this, uh, and it was a dog and it was a big dog and he was coming and I had my backpack on and I had my uh, uh, walking sticks. It's like, okay, what's going to happen now? And just about the time my mind was trying to flash through what could I do now? I heard the chain catch. <laughs> and the chain catch and you heard the dog the dog jerked to a stop and so i was very 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 relieved but uh that was the only dog story i have to tell that you know that guy he'd mentioned that and so you know and i'd never had a dog issue and there was that story and i was very very grateful that i didn't have to encounter him closer up because he sounded big <laughs> <laughs> how wonderful well what a blessing it is to have been able to spend this time with you dave i i was delighted to read your your article your your thousand words and it just rang for me anyway uh, rang the bells of a story that ought to be told so thank you for taking the time to talk with us your journey really is and has been a heartwarming, reaffirming endorsement of El Camino and the joys of pilgrimage and the joys of Holly and and her love and light. You're a good man for reaching out to tell your story, Dave. Thanks for having the courage to talk to us. Buen Camino. Thank you. Buen Camino, Dan. Just before we wrap it all up, I thought it was only fair that given Dave had been through so much extraordinary change, I reach out to the person who is the recipient of most of that change, his beautiful wife, Holly. Now, Dave doesn't know that I've reached out to Holly, and I'm hoping this is a surprise as much to him as it is to all of you. And it's also a surprise that Dave has been so blessed by this Camino experience. And I begin by asking Holly what she has seen, what change in this man. Well, it's like when he came back, um, he, even even when he was over there, he would call me every day and to tell me the interesting people he met, uh, the history um, and, and the beauty. And uh, he was talking about one area that's really flat that most people like to buzz through. And he was talking about how beautiful it really was, the, the wave of the grains and and he said it just looked like an ocean across there. And when he came back, and even since he's been back, he, he, he likes to watch anything related to it. And he talks about, oh, I've been there. And, and you could just see the re, like he's back there again. And, and it really meant a lot for him to be on that journey. And he really wants to go back when he retires. And um, we're hoping to go together. Um, cause I would have to walk a lot slower than he would, um, due to my medical conditions. But I think that would be such a cool trip for both of us to, to experience together. When he first started talking about doing it, I, I had saw, uh, previews to the movie, The Way, and I thought, oh, that would be such a cool trip or something really cool to do because it, um, it follows the Milky Way and thousands of years of people that have walked it. And, and he, he, he's, we went and saw the movie together and he goes, you know, that's really cool. And I says, well, you know, he says, boy, I wish I could do something like that. Says, well, why don't you? He says, you serious? I was like, yeah, why don't you? You know, I, you only live once. I always look at it. And so he, he started preparing for it. And he decided he wanted to do it, started preparing for it. And he, he walked a lot of trails around here to, to get ready for it. And as he was getting closer, you know, he would he was a little nervous about going. He says, are you going to be OK? I said, no, I'll be fine. And, you know, and he's like, do you think I could do it? He says, do you think um, I'm going to have any challenges over there? And I says, well, I says, I think you could do it physically. I said, but I says, sometimes I think you're going to have the ch- challenge of, crowds of people because he doesn't do well in crowds of people and uh but i said you can make it through it i says you know maybe you'll learn learn something you know and uh so he did he he realized he could make it through it and even the crowds of people and and you know he was he just i don't know he came back like a whole new person and you know and i i would recommend it for anybody to 
actually, I think it's it's a, a journey that you find yourself. I always he always asked me if I'd go and do it to him, go and uh, do the trip with him, and and I've always said, ah, oh, no, I, I probably won't do something like that, you know. And I just want to let him know, yeah, when he retires, we're gonna do it together. So you'll find out. He will find out to the, at the end of his his uh, um, his the podcast that I will do it with him, but we'll go slower and. I'm sorry, but I have to t- stop and pet every cat along the way, talk with everybody along the way, because <laughs> I love people. I'm a very people person, so, and uh, and I like to strike up conversations with everybody. So, I, it'll take a while for us to get through. There you are. It doesn't get any better than that. My guest this week was Dave Newland. If you'd like a copy of Dave's 1,000-word article about his experience, just drop me an email, danmullinsmusic at gmail.com. danmullinsmusic at gmail.com. I'm certain Dave won't mind me passing it on to you. Plato said, We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. What a blessing to have had 45 minutes with Dave Newland and with you. Love and light to you and yours. Here's to a brand new year. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.